We're going to read from the scriptures. We're turning to the book of Lamentations. And we're reading from Lamentations chapter 3, verse 37. The book of Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3, and verse 37. If you have difficulty finding Lamentations, if you go about the middle of the Bible, if you find Jeremiah, then it's just the next book after Jeremiah. So we're in chapter 3. Reading from verse 37, reading, of course, from the authorized version. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth not, out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good. Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. Thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain. Thou hast not pitied. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. Thou hast made us as the offscarring and refuge in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare has come upon us. Desolation and destruction. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission. Till the Lord look down and behold from heaven. Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Mine enemies chase me sore like a bird without cause. They have cut off my life in the dungeon and cast a stone upon me. Waters flowed over mine head. Then I said, I am cut off. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 54. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. Now my text this morning is taken from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 40 and 41. It reads as follows, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord, let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. My theme today is entitled, God's Prescription 
for a guilty people. The book of Lamentations is a book, five chapters, that records the grief of Jeremiah the prophet over the destruction of Jerusalem and its people by the hand of the Babylonians in 586 BC. I want you to think of God's prophet sitting on a hill outside the city of Jerusalem and he's weeping profusely. How do we know he's weeping profusely? Listen to verse 48. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission. You see, the great city of Jerusalem is in ruins. The temple has been ransacked. It's been looted of its treasure. Buildings, including palaces and houses, are on fire. The gates have been burnt down. Walls have been toppled. There's dead bodies and blood everywhere. The, 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 the dead include men and women and children. Young people by the hundreds have been laid out captive in chains. You've got to think of Daniel. You've got to think of his free, free friends. You, you've got to think of Ezekiel and, and, and others like them. And here's Jeremiah and he's broken hearted. And he's sitting on this hill and he's weeping profusely. Now, I want you to see a broken-hearted man. Can you picture that this morning? A man who's grief-stricken. And in that context, then, he, he, he shares the lament of his heart with us. It's a lament before God. It's a personal, particular, pointed lament. We call it lamentations. The, the Hebrews call it the alas. Because that's really the first word in the Hebrew in chapter 1, verse 1 of our book called Lamentations. You see, the big question on the minds of many, think of the survivors of that awful destruction that befell Jerusalem in 586 BC, was this. How could this happen to us? How could God, our God, a loving God, Allow this to happen to us. This is the holy city. This is Jerusalem. Are we not supposed to be his people? Did, did we not worship him in the temple in his name? What about our sacrifices and our offerings? Why has all this happened? And you see, Jeremiah is answering that very question. And if we break into verse 37, he's asking, Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? See, Jeremiah is telling the people, by way of this lament, the Lord have sent this destruction. This is the judgment of God. The Lord has sent the Babylonian army. The Lord raised up the Babylonian army to destroy our city. The Lord caused it. The Lord foreordained it. You see, Jeremiah, as he weeps, he sees the hand of God and judgment upon the city. He's tracing all the afflictions of Jerusalem and Judah 
the land of Israel, all the calamity, all the destruction, all the bloodshed, all the disaster, back to the hand of God in judgment against them. And you know, that's something that we need to see in these last days. We need to see the hand of God in all our affliction, all our trouble, in all our calamities. You think of the, the hurricanes, you, you think of the tsunamis, you, you think of even of this coronavirus, earthquakes. You see, here's the hand of God upon the Western world and beyond. These are days of wrong thinking, folks. These are days of sinful attitudes. Here's the situation that we face. And people are asking, why has this happened to us? Why did 9-11 happen? Why did a loving God allow this? But that's not the right question. Because Jeremiah sees the hand of God in it all. And those that don't see the hand of God are guilty of wrong thinking and a wrong attitude. And there's many wrong attitudes regarding the situation facing our country and every country at this time. We need to see the hand of God in all our affliction, in all our calamity. Instead of seeing the hand of God Men are slighting the hand of God. But Jeremiah just doesn't see the hand of God. Jeremiah submits to the hand of God. Look at verse 39. It says, Wherefore doth a living man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins. See, Jeremiah is asking, well, Why are you complaining? Why are you murmuring? Why are you asking why on earth this is happening to us? You're complaining over the fall of Jerusalem, its death, destruction, the slaughter of its people. The, you, you're, you're complaining about the sorrow and the sight and the suffering. Why are you complaining? If God Almighty reigns supreme, if he ordains all that comes to pass, why do you murmur against God? And his doings. You see, here's the root cause, the real reason for all this. A man for the punishment of his sins. Our sins, personal sins, private sins, public sins, the sins of the princes on the throne, the, 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 the uh, sins of the prophets and the priests functioning. In the city and in the temple. The sins of, of the people themselves. It's as if Jeremiah is saying, but we only have ourselves to blame. Our suffering is linked to our sin against a holy and just God. We have brought this upon ourselves. Isn't that painful? Isn't that brutal? But that's the reality of the situation. Sin pays wages. You see, we have to live in light of the holy judgment of God. Because of sin. It's interesting that he says, Wherefore doth 
a living man complain? He's saying to them, could you not even thank God you're still alive? Thank God that you've got breath in you. Thank God that you're not dead. Because you're a living man. You still have opportunity to repent and get right with the Lord. You see, I believe Jeremiah's personal, particular weeping here was after a godly sort. His heart was broken. His broken heart cries reveal something of the character and condition, not only of him, but of his heart. Maybe we could ask the question, what do you and I cry about? Many people are heartbroken today, heartbroken over things that are happening, family, friends, and other places. But do we see the hand of God in it all? Jeremiah has seen the hand of God in all this destruction, in all this calamity, and he submits to it. And I believe we need to do the same. Could I, could I tell you this morning, you don't need me to tell you, do you know the whole world is in trouble? I believe it's in trouble politically. Did you ever see as much chaos and confusion? It's certainly in trouble economically. The world is broke. The United States of America trillions in debt. The United Kingdom, two trillion in debt. The world is bankrupt morally. People are, are scratching their head and, and they're confused about what is taking place. The changes before our eyes. And it's certainly bankrupt religiously and spiritually. On the one hand, we've got resurgent Romanism. On the other hand, we've got apostate Protestantism going through all the pomp and ceremony of religiosity and it's an abomination to God. And I want to tell you this morning, you don't need me to tell you, judgment is coming. And judgment has already come. And this virus, it's just a sign of God's judgment. And what do we weep about? The destruction of a tree? Wasn't that what Jonah the prophet did? He was more interested in a plant than the people of Nineveh. He had absolutely no love for the Ninevites. He wanted them all destroyed and damned in hell. How many people today are heartbroken and outraged and, oh, they get on to Twitter and Instagram about a, a dead cat or a man beating a dog or a donkey with a sore foot. And I want to tell you, I'm all on for animal welfare. Don't get me wrong. But what about the plight of the unborn? And many who would go to court over a dead cat or a man beating a dog have absolutely no scruples when it comes to aborting a little baby in the womb. See, just remember abortion is murder. What about the introduction of same-sex marriage? We live in an age when there's an explosion of sodomy. But even the judges are now on board. And they want to ban the Bible and any reference to male and female and any reference to, to a biblical God-ordained marriage. And what about all the looting and riots going on in the streets? And we could add into the mix the murder and the theft and the exploitation of the plur and the affluence of the wealthy and the atheism and, and, and the religiosity of many. There's a story told about a young minister and he was into a United States of America prison for the very first time. This was part of his training. This was his first service. And he's very nervous, as you could understand, big men. 
and men of all sorts of colors and sizes. And he was just a wee fellow and he was absolutely shaken like a leaf. And he, he met this uh, inmate and he, he, he said to him, um, what, 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 what are you in for? Oh, I, I, I'm in for murder. And then he says, are, 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 you, are you sorry for what you did? And he says, I'm sorry I got caught. Isn't that the attitude? Right across the board. But here's Jeremiah. And he's sorry about what the people have done to God. And he's sorry about their sin. And, 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 and he's sorry that this judgment has come. But he's got a proper prospectus. He's got a right attitude. This is the hand of God against us. And he submits to that. He asks this. Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Now notice what he says. And here's the prescription to a guilty people. Listen to verse 40 and 41. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. God's prescription for a guilty people. You're familiar with the idea for prescription. You're sick. You go to the doctor. He makes a diagnosis. He writes your prescription, some medicine or some tablets. You take it to the pharmacy or the chemist, and uh, you, you begin to take the medicine. You begin to take the tablets, and it begins to help. See, see what Jeremiah is saying to those that are alive, even despite the ruin of the city. These living men, these living women, these living young people, it's not too late. Here's something that will help ease the situation. Get a sight of the hand of God in this. Submit to that. But here's something else I want you to do. Let us search and try our ways. And let us turn again to the Lord. And let us lift up our hearts with our hands unto God in the heavens. Now three things this morning. An examination to be practiced. It says, look at the text, let us search and try our ways. See the word search there in the Hebrew? Very, very strong. It's very graphic and descriptive. We've got to think about the word search. You see, this is a, a, a probing examination or a probing search. The word search means to dig deeply, to uncover to, to discover something, to, to define something, to, to disclose something that's been hidden. You think of something hidden, something that's been disguised over us. It's not meant to be found. And you, you've got to search, you've got to dig hard, you've got to dig deep till you find it. Think of buried treasure. If somebody told us that there was treasure in a certain field uh, or a piece of gold or, or some sort of uh, diamonds or pearls, um, we would have to go and dig and, and, and dig deeply and, and dig hard on, until we find it. You've got to think of gold, think of diamonds, think of some items that have been stolen and they're buried deep. See, this is a probing search. And isn't that a picture of our hearts? Our sin doesn't want to be revealed. Our sin doesn't want to be dragged out into the open. Our sin want, doesn't want to be disclosed. Remember Proverbs 28 and verse 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. And Jeremiah is saying, here's part of God's prescription. You need to probe your hearts. 
You need to do a bit of heart searching. It's not easy to say, but so hard to do. Don't we find it difficult to admit? Not, not I have sinned, but I have sinned against the Lord as the living and the true God. I have sinned against you, Lord, in my thoughts, in my words, in my deeds. Lord, I confess my faults. Lord, I, I, I confess my failures. I wonder if you ever come to that place. Have you come to God and said, Lord, I am nothing? And Lord, I have nothing to recommend myself to you. Lord, I can do nothing to earn or merit your favor. Lord, I deserve nothing from you but, but hell and judgment. And Lord, I'm a guilty sinner and I'm crying out. Lord, I've sinned against you. Be merciful to me. See, can we not apply that to the life of the country? Wouldn't we love those in the higher echelons of society? From the queen and the throne to our trusted councillors, to our parliamentarians, to, to our prime minister, and, 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 and the judges and the magistrates taking the initiative and saying to the Lord, Lord, we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed. Can we apply it to the church? Have we not lost sight of the holiness of God in our day? Oh, we confess, well, we're not what we ought to be or not what it once was. But could we not say, Lord, show me my part in all of this? You see, God knows our hearts. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the answer, of course, is, I, the Lord, know the heart. Over there in 1 John and 1 John chapter 3 and in the verse 20, we read these words. He says, For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. It's the scripture that says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And God knows what's in the depths of our heart. I've told you this story before of how I worked in a previous uh, time down in Milltown Baptist. And I remember the man that was making the manhole in one particular side of the building. I think it was in the right-hand side as you uh, approach the pathway to the front door of the church. And uh, he hit his thumb or his finger with a, a block hammer cutting some blocks. And he was cursing and swearing and he was saying all sorts of bad language. And when he got his head out of the manhole, there was Pastor McLaughlin standing before him. And he, he got all flustered and red in the face and said, Oh, I'm really sorry, Pastor. I said things I shouldn't have said there. It wasn't right of me. And you know what he said? What's down in the well comes out in the bucket. And you see what's down in the human heart? It comes out through mouth gate, through, through our attitudes, through our actions. See, there has to be a probing search. Could I tell you something else very quickly? It has to be a personal search. He says... Let us search. Jeremiah includes himself. He takes a very humble, lowly place. He's humble himself before the Lord. It's a bit like Daniel in his prayer in Daniel 9. Lord, we have sinned. Not the people, not just the princes, not just the prophets and the priests, but Jeremiah, Daniel, include themselves. Here he's been very clear, he's been very faithful, he's been very truthful. Let us search. 
See, it applied to Jeremiah. It applies to all of us. It applies to the children. It applies to the young people whose hearts and minds can be occupied with many different things. So oftentimes our mind and hearts are filled with films and music and pop stars and work and school and careers. But we need to stop and think. We need to have a personal examination of our hearts. It applies to men. It applies to women. It applies to the pastor. It applies to the elders, the deacons. We need a serious examination of our hearts before the Lord. You know, when I I think of this word, let us, I think of Jeremiah saying to himself, Lord, sitting in that hill weeping, Lord, I'm part of the problem. Lord, I need you to examine and search my poor heart. Lord, my heart is deceitful. Lord, my heart is desperately wicked. Lord, my heart's full of sin. Oh, that we could see the seriousness of sin. It's not part of the problem. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Oh, that we could rediscover that all unrighteousness is sin. Oh, that we could discover that sin's a transgression of God's law. And how many have broken God's law already today? Because they haven't given themselves to Sabbath day worship in the house of God. Oh, that we could discover that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. All unbelief is sin. Knowing to do good and doing it not, it is sin. We're not to examine other people. We're good at that. What should this man do? What should this woman do? We're good at judging others. There's a great word for John. There's a great word for James. There's a great word for Mary. That was a powerful word for Martha this morning. But what about a word for me? Oh, we, we need to get a sight of our sin. We need to see that we are part of the problem. It's a personal search. It's a painful search. If the word search means to dig deeply, then we've got to be open, we've got to be honest, we've got to be sincere, we've got to be genuine, we've got to be detailed. We're going to do all the corners of our heart. You see, it doesn't matter what the world thinks of you doesn't matter what your friends think, your family thinks, or even what the church thinks. What should matter to you most is what the Lord thinks of me. If the Lord sees you this morning, if the Lord knows you in every thought, in every word, in every deed, and he's all-seeing and all-knowing and all-powerful, there's no need to try and fool the Lord, for you can't. You can fool your friends and family, but you'll never fool the Lord. This is a painful search. I can tell you quickly, This is a particular search. Notice the words here in the text, and try our ways. Our ways does not speak of a pathway, does not speak of a course for our footsteps, does not speak of the life that we live before the Lord. The word word try here means to, to explore. Explore our pathway. Let's see what's there. If it's true that as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. His attitude, his actions, his announcements. See, the word way speaks of a path of life. They have to ask, which way are you on? Which way are you in? There's only one of two ways. The narrow way that leads to life, leads to heaven and home, or the broad way that leads to death and damnation and hell. Isn't there few in the narrow way this morning? They don't want the way of pardon, the way of peace. They don't want an incentive to holiness. 
Is, is our pathway, our footsteps leading us to the Lord? Is it leading us on towards the Lord and the things of God? Or could I ask this morning, could our ways be leading us away from the Lord, from his house, from his word, from his truth? You see, what you do on your own, what you do when you're alone, what you say when you're on your own, God sees, God knows, and God is all-powerful to bring you to judgment. See, God is wanting godly repentance. He's wanting you to say, I have sinned against the Lord. There's so many, and, and it's not genuine repentance. It's not a, a godly repentance. It's, it's a mouthing of words, but, but their heart is not in it. They're not truly sorry. There, there's no true confrontation or, or, or contrition for sin. This is a particular search. And try our ways. Not only is there an examination to be practiced here, but very quickly, there's a, an exhortation to be proclaimed. Notice the words here, and turn to the Lord. Here's the second part of this prescription to this guilty people. And turn again to the Lord. That's his appeal. That's his admonition. There has to be serious consideration given here. And let us turn again to the Lord. The word turn here is speaking about an about turn. Going in one direction, then hearing the word stop and turning around and going in a different direction. Now that's the thought. And this is a fundamental turn. It's necessary and vital. If you're giving serious consideration to this, this will lead to a sincere conversion. This will bring about a, 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 a true repentance. You're turning away from your sinful, evil ways, your course of a lifestyle to the Lord. And I've got to think of the sins of Judah and Jerusalem, 586 BC. They turned from the worship of the Lord to worship lifeless idols and other gods. They, they turned from the word of God. They forsook the word. They forgot his law. They, they, they turned from the will of God for their lives, wanted their own way. Men become lovers of self rather than lovers of the sovereign. And isn't that a perilous time in which to live? And is not a sign of the times in which you live. Men shall be lovers of their own selves rather than lovers of God. And here's this call to Jeremiah. Look, you, you've got to turn back to the Lord. Confess, Lord, we have turned from you. We, we are drifting away. Lord of mercy, turn us to thyself. I, I think of what's written in Chronicles, Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. There's the first thing. Two, and pray. Three, and seek my face. Four, and turn from their wicked ways. So there's four things that we're exhorted to do. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. I remember the late Dr. Paisley preaching a message that God's people hold the key to revival. See, unless we turn back to him, and turn away from sin and all its consequences. We're not going to know his help. We're not going to know his blessing. We're not going to know his intervention. That's true for the sinner. If you're not saved this morning. But that's true of those that profess to be his. Could we not say this morning that many of us. Myself included. We've really left our first love. 
We don't love the Lord as we ought. We're not as close to the Lord as we ought. I fear that we're living in the age of the church of the Laodiceans. It belongs to them. This is our church, not the Lord's church. And there's a difference. Read Revelation 3, verses 14, right through to 20. Where's Christ? He's on the outside. And he's addressing his professing people to repent and do their first works. He's charging them with this crime. You have left your first love. Someone prayed this morning in the prayer meeting that this world has been stopped in its tracks by coronavirus. But it hasn't cost it to bow the knee before God and cry out for mercy and for his intervention. But if we're going to turn to the Lord, here's a fundamental turn. It's vital. It's necessary. Could I suggest it's a full turn? It's not a partial turn. It's not a turn that that, that stops short. It's not a, 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 a stop that's, that's part of the way. It has to be a full turn. You know, many people today are upset about their sin and they realize I've sinned against the Lord and they hope one day that they're going to get saved and they're convicted. And, and that's where they stop. They're convicted of their sin. They mourn their sin. They, they, they grieve, they sense their sin, but they're not yet converted. And here's Jeremiah. And he's facing a people. And he had already warned them this day would come. And it has come. How many have been warned about the wrath of God to come? Encouraged to flee to heaven. And to flee hell. Could we not say that Judgment is coming and has come. And if the wrath of God was unleashed fully upon this world, then what would the fate of this world and its people be? See, many won't make a full turn. It's a partial turn. And, and, and uh, in hell, sinners will realize every gospel tract Every meeting they've attended, every sermon they've heard, it's going to all come back to them. And will that be awful? Why? They, they stopped when they heard the summons. They, they, they did a quarter turn, but not a full turn. And God demands a full turn, a turning away from sin in all its forms, to hate and loathe that sin, to turn to him for mercy. You know, I saw a bumper sticker in a car just the other day and it caught my attention and it was this, this wise man sought Jesus and still do wise men sought Jesus and still do I, I was thinking of that scripture that talks about a star over his house I remember hearing a sermon of Dr. S.B. Cook on that the star over his house and he said don't go beyond the star and he, he, he said the wise men didn't. They, they stopped where the star was. Don't go beyond Christ. Don't, don't try to add to Christ. And don't stop short either. 
Because they didn't stop until the star stopped over his house. And how many stopped short of Christ? They, they want to be religious and, and, and they get their eyes on, on, on this world full of religiosity and pomp and ceremony and go through all the motions. And you can have the religion of the world, but not have Christ. And you can have all the religion of the world, but not have a relationship with the living and the true God. And it's a relationship that matters. He talked about the star above the house. And he ended with this note, make sure you have Christ. And I would say the same thing to you. Make sure you have Christ. Here's an exhortation to be proclaimed. And turn again to the Lord. Is that not what we need to do? Could I say in closing, our time is gone. There's an expectation to be proposed here. And let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. This has to do with prayer. The effectual fervent prayer for a righteous man availeth much. And God would say to us, my son, give me thine heart. And what will we say to the Lord? Here's my heart, Lord. Take and clean it. Take and cleanse it. Take it to thyself. You see, for us to present our hearts, we need clean hands. Isn't this what the psalmist said in Psalm um, 24 and verses uh, 3 and 4? He made this statement. Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who have stand in his holy place? He that have clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up a soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Not only do we need clean hands, but we need empty hands. Lord, I'm empty without you. Lord, I have no love for you but what you give me. Lord, I have no grace for you but, but what you give me. Lord, I have no pardon but what you give me. Lord, I have no power but what you give. Lord, I have no joy but what you give. You see, it's empty hands receiving from the Lord on the basis of grace. It's an expectant hand. It's offering one's heart, expecting an acceptance, expecting an answer, expecting mercy from the Lord. Can I ask this morning, do you love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Do you know him? Have you given your heart to him? If he says, my son, give me thine heart, then do you do what Jeremiah says? Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Lord, my heart is broken this morning. I'm broken because of sin and destruction. But Lord, I'm expecting help from you. I'm expecting mercy. What about dependency? Dependent hands, clean hands offering our heart, empty, expectant, but dependent. Lord, I need you. How many, and I finish, have got broken hearts this morning? And maybe you're here with a broken heart and you're smashed because of life's circumstances and situation for you personally and your family. And what can you do? You can lift up your broken heart to the Lord. And with clean hands, you can offer it afresh to him and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I want you. Lord, I can't be without you. Can you meet my need in this situation? That's the expectation to be proposed. Here's God's prescription, an examination to be practiced, an exhortation to be proclaimed, and an expectation to be proposed. May the Lord take his word and write it in your hearts this morning.